This is the Beyond 2% podcast, and I'm your host, Helen Femi Williams. And I'm your second host, Julie Verhage Greenberg. We're so excited to dive into our second season of Beyond 2%. This podcast is brought to you by This Week in Fintech, which is on the front page of Global Fintech News, fostering the largest fintech community through newsletters, thought leaderships, events, and of course, podcasts. In season one, we covered everything from motherhood to intersectionality. In this season, we'll take a look at what it's like to build in emerging markets as a woman and imposter syndrome. We encourage you to give us feedback on the topics you think we should be discussing and asking in our future panels. Let's Let's dive dive in. in. Saira Rahman is currently the VP of New Investor Initiatives at Fundrise, where she is building new fintech products for the Alt platform. Prior to this, she was the VP of Finance at H.M. Bradley, a consumer neobank. Saira was also the co-host of the viral podcast, Girls Just Want to Have Funds, where she spent time discussing the nuance behind financial literacy. Before entering the world of fintech, Saira spent 11 years working in traditional finance and derivative sales. In her spare time, Saira loves to spend time with her family and make art. Jane is the driving force behind fintech startup Sibstar, the idea for which came from her lived experience of caring for her parents, who both live with dementia. With absolutely no background in payments or banking, she's created, developed, launched, and prepared Sibstar for scaling in 2023. Hope you enjoy this episode. Beyond 2%. Thank you guys both for joining the podcast today. I think this is such an interesting topic and we all know that mental health does not affect men and women in equal measures. So I'm really excited to have a conversation with you guys and kind of see what it means to you. So that's where I think I want to start really, like asking you, Jane and Syria, like what it means to you. So Jane, what does mental health mean to you? Uh, It's really important to me just from my own. Sorry, I should say thank you for having me. (laughs) Actually, it's really nice to be invited along here today. So yeah, it's really important to me on a on a personal level. Then I've definitely found myself in situations where my mental health has been sort of stretched to its its max, caring for my mum and dad who have dementia and a young family at the time. So I, I've definitely experienced this sort of stresses and strains of um, of life that can have a negative impact on your mental health. And uh, not only that, you know the the business that we've set up, Sivstar, you, you know, is there to help carers like myself to, to help in a small way that people do tend to say is a big cause of stress and worry for them. So yeah, it couldn't be a more important issue. Uh, Yeah. And I I definitely, definitely agree with that, especially in the workplace. And as it points to women specifically, I think it disproportionately affects us because of the fact that we face a lot more. We also have to deal with a lot more at home. We are also usually the caregivers. If we decide to have families, we're usually the ones that have fertility problems, if there are fertility problems. So there's just a lot more of a mental burden that we carry, and it's difficult to decide what we're bringing to work and and what we're not. So mental health is most definitely a priority to me as well. So, Sarah, if we stay on you, like, how do you kind of balance that out? Like, you sort of mentioned there that women are affected disproportionately when it comes to mental health, especially being the caregivers. And in Jane's position, she's the caregiver. She's, she looks after her parents as well as her children. So like, how do you balance, how do you balance that? Do you you balance that? Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard, especially as like a leader at your company. There's, there's this fine line that everyone kind of expects you to border between professionalism and being able to, share your vulnerability. I think from my perspective, I've always wanted to share some of that vulnerability because I want people to feel 
comfortable being able to talk about the things that make them who they are. So uh, there's, I don't know, there's this gray space between oversharing and not sharing enough. And I think more men tend to not share enough. And for most women, we also don't really share enough, but we, we try a lot harder to be our most authentic selves. I guess from uh, from my perspective, I know like fintech is you know financially related, which can lead to mental health struggles and whatnot. Have you guys seen uh, you know startups out there that you think could help people benefit in this space? I mean, you talk about how like lots of consumers can't pay for an emergency expense, and that leads to to mental health struggles ultimately most lots of times. But in your point of view, like how do you think fintech is actually doing things to help here beyond just like companies taking care of their own employees, which we can dive into later, Jane? Yeah, I think um, there are more and more fintechs popping up to address the specific needs of families here in the UK and the cost of living crisis. Um, And I think it's been a real, I think, sort of digital innovation to help those families can be really beneficial. I mean, no, I think your startup definitely addresses that. Like, I mean, maybe it makes sense to kind of give the, a, a, a good like elevator pitch on it because I think actually like I've heard your story and like why you created Substar. And I think that is, even though if, if it's not directly about your mental health, I think you address the mental health problem by creating Substar. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just from caring for my mom and dad, you know, that the, the worry and the stress that was caused for me and my brother through my mum's mismanagement of her money due to her dementia was incredible you know is it was out of control and she was losing money every single day whether that be overspending or falling victim to a fraud over the phone or giving her money away that she didn't really have to um people on the street you know that it was incredibly stressful and I think when you are caring for someone living with dementia, you face lots of challenges and often there are solutions out there. So mum couldn't remember to take her medication every day as so we set up a telephone reminder service. You know, there was a solution to that problem that we had. When it came to managing her money, there was no solution, which added to the stress and worry. So that's what fueled us to create Sipstar, which is a way for people living with dementia to manage their money more safely and not lose it or give it away unnecessarily. And when we looked at the wider market for whether, whether there, there was a market for more, more than me and my mum for this product, you know, 89% of people said that managing everyday money was a, it was a major cause of stress and worry for them. So being able to alleviate that in one way or present people with a solution that that helps them and takes that away a bit is is why we're here, really. I mean, I think Sibstar is like one of those rare, beautiful fintechs that definitely support something in the mental health space. Generally, I think a lot of the products that fintech creates helps alleviate, you know, different different methods of being able to assist with debt. I think those type of fintech products definitely help on the mental health side. You know, I also sometimes contemplate if fintech is making it a little bit too easy to also help curate some mental health problems, particularly when it comes to like trading and whatnot. But I'm still kind of sorting through exactly where I sit on the fence with with a lot of the products that we have out there. I think that's a really interesting point. Like we gamify everything like from dating to fitness to finances and there is a real you know 
correlation between this kind of, like mental health stress and like how how we look at our finances now or the easiest way to look at finances and I guess that's a really interesting question around product like how do you kind of toe that line between making it easy and accessible and fun for everybody to to work to to use but also kind of making sure that there are things in place that address some of these kind of like darker sides of like gamifying everything that we do um what what do you think uh jane yeah you know i I guess the product we've we've built is is about simplification actually so it's about um stripping away some of the the sort of functionality that you don't need and coming right back to what do you need you need a daily spending limit you need the ability to turn off cash point withdrawals for example and actually you just have that certain amount of money that's sitting on that card only um and you know that's where you manage your everyday money so actually it's about sort of getting rid of the complexity and the confusion of this direct debit coming in and that direct debit going out and I've got to pay the window cleaner that and I've got to get cash out for this. You know, that making it easier for people and easier for families, which I hope we do. So I guess we're sort of operating in a slightly different space. It's about stripping it back and keeping it simple. Yeah, I guess for you, you're you're trying not to gamify and making it as simple as possible because of the user audience. Um Syra, what is your experience with that? Like, how do you feel like, how do we kind of like balance those two lines between, I guess, gamification, trying to get like financial inclusion, but also making sure that we're not causing a whole different mental health crisis, as you kind of alluded to? Yeah, I think it's tough because there's a misalignment of incentives sometimes, depending on who you're talking to. So some platforms want to make it seamless so that you can have a seamless experience from start to finish during your transaction of whatever sort that is. But the seamlessness and the low friction ends up increasing the likelihood that you're going to want to do it multiple times, that you're going to want to gamify it, that you're going to want to try to win, um, which isn't always necessarily the actual goal behind what you're trying to do. You know, I think somewhat alluding to different styles of investing apps, which I think are the ones that are probably the most problematic within the fintech space, depending on who you're talking to. There's some that are incredible that are extremely educational and very beneficial to the end user. And there are some that I think intentionally work to have you execute the most transactions possible, which is certainly not an alignment of incentive between an investor and the actual platform itself. And I guess we can take this on to like a personal level too. Like I've had mental health like ins and outs since high school, probably because, you know, being a high school girl is just so fun. But I guess throughout that journey, I've never once really like turned to fintech in particular to like make me feel better, partially just because like finance finances were never a reason that I had mental health issues. It would be other things. But I wonder, you know, if companies in general are taking care of their employees and offering things that, you know, would help with mental health. I, I have seen like throughout my career albeit short, there is more of an emphasis like mental health Fridays or, you know, offering um, one free therapy session a month and things like that. Is that something, Sarah, that you're seeing more companies in our space offer, at least from like a U.S. perspective, and then Jane can offer more of a, a European lens? I feel like it's definitely becoming more of a baseline, especially if you're a remote work company. So I think about the larger companies in the U.S. and how they do offer lots of mental health support just because 
you almost have to, especially when you have so many people that are isolated and alone and, you know, working, working literally from home. Um, so I do think that there's been an uptick in types of mental health support and increasingly just better and better health insurance offerings in order to sustain their employees as a benefit. So I do think that that's becoming more prevalent, but I mean, I still think we have a long way to go in the general industry in terms of mental health. I think that there's a significant shortage of doctors when it comes to mental health. Moving to California and switching my doctors was just a clear indication of how how bad our healthcare system is. So it's something that I something that I worry about, but I do think it's something that's gradually improving. When I when I was 21 for instance and I started work out of um, finishing school if we just talk about the workplace in general I found it really really difficult to go into work so I mean I I lost my dad at 21 when I was in university and for me I was grieving and then the, what did I do I went to work and I was quite open about the fact that I was grieving and I feel like I still grieve like he was my dad um, but I think grief being something that people associate with like older people I found work, the workplace or entering the workplace really really difficult because it was like my first I guess mental health crisis and to be honest I don't know what I was doing nor do I still know what I'm doing um, nor do I know what I'm doing now and nor is it something that I still necessarily feel like I have a full grasp on but I say that to say like you've all been in the workplace or you've all experienced what the workplace looks like in any form and I guess I have a more like freelance career now but I guess I would just want to open it up and say you know I, I know you're a CEO now but um when you were in the workplace or or you as a CEO like how do you support people going through something and it doesn't necessarily have to be grief but I think we all have our like seasons where things are harder and like, what does that look like? Yeah, I think as people are better educated around mental health and the conversation is more open around mental health, your own and being able to spot the signs in other people who might be struggling, then that, that can only benefit us all as a whole. You know, that can benefit our friendship groups, our families, the places where we work. And only by we education, those open conversations, can those organisations, for example pick up and put strategies and plans in place to support their employees you know I because of my personal experience you know if, if someone in the team is experiencing something difficult at home then I naturally have a very empathetic sort of approach that you we are as an organization are set up to help people who are struggling so if we can't help our own team then you know that's not going to work out so it sort of runs through the lifeblood of what we do um both outwardly to the customers we help and hopefully as we grow our team internally as well. I think that's really important. We should be leading by example in that sense. And I think one other way that I can now recently relate to is just the way we treat maternity and paternity leave. Like obviously the UK has very good or like good maternity leave policy, maybe not good paternity leave policy as Helen and I have discovered um, but the U.S. is still shit, for lack of a better word. And that's one of the most emotional and stressful and when you're the most prone to having mental health issues. And we're like, oh, yeah, like you're not going to get any paid leave. Like you're lucky if you live in a state like New York or California that does offer you like four weeks or whatever it is. But like, are you kidding me? Like, it's just at least we have some companies in the fintech space that are offering better leave, but it's still not that great. 
Um, so just like thinking through that and then the fact that you're expected to work up until you actually deliver the baby, whereas in the UK and other nations, like, no, like a month or two before you have the kid, like you go away because the last month or two is very stressful. And the last thing you need to be doing then is working. Um, Syra, you're kind of like going through this a little bit right now. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on this? And like, do you think we're actually going to be able to improve this in the next year or two? Or is this something we're just going to keep like, you know, knocking our heads on? This is one that I struggle with. Um, I'm fortunate because the company that I work for right now actually has an incredible maternity and paternity leave policy relative to the rest of our country. Um, that being said, there's, there's a lot of things surrounding, like fertility and maternity and maternity leave within our country that I absolutely hate. Um, struggled very deeply to get pregnant. Um, getting pregnant at all was a surprise for me. And even still, we don't have a bereavement policy for women when they have um, miscarriages. So I was, I had to show up to work. I will never forget multiple times in the middle of a fundraise um, for another company. And I, there, it's just like, the level of stress that your body goes under in order to bear a miscarriage as a woman is is painful, um, both emotionally and physically, which is something that nobody addresses. Um, and I know that I have friends that go back to work the next day, and I just don't know how they do it. Um, at least at a bare minimum, it was I was fortunate that for the last several, I was working from home. But that's something that I think about a lot. Um, in terms of the actual maternity leave, I don't know what that's like because I haven't been through it myself. Again, I feel like it's different for people that work from home. I, I'm like fortunate in that sense. I honestly can't imagine for the people that do have to go to the office every day, like it's already hard for me to get off the couch. I just can't imagine. And I'm only, I'm only like between six and seven months at this point. So it's just a very different situation, but, but I... In terms of the policy and in terms of the mental health piece, uh, Cal living in California has been hugely beneficial to me because I have tons of mental health support that's fully covered by my insurance. I don't think that exists in other states. I suffered a lot when I was living in Washington in addition to living in Denver, working for different companies at that point. And um, yeah, I can't even... I can't even imagine being this far along and not having the support that I do both from my family and externally from, from therapy. <laughs> so it's just much, it's very difficult to manage that work-life balance when you're pregnant and you have trauma in the background from your history. So I just, I feel for people that have are going through it and don't have the support that they need because I know that that exists almost everywhere in our country. And it's, I would imagine it's impossible. Thank you so much for sharing that. Like, I think, I think, I think a lot of people, I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to kind of those struggles and the way you put it as well. It's like, I think this is a thing like when you, oh, this is how I found it because before I lost my dad, for instance, I don't think I was very empathetic to be honest with you. Um, I mean, to be fair, I was 20 years old or whatever. So, but to be honest, like, I look back, for instance, at other people who potentially could have been going through things. And I even remember apologizing, like when I lost my dad, just because of, I just didn't think I was very empathetic to like, like people's situations or what other people were going through and these types of things. And I think when, once you've kind of been through something, you recognize it more. And you also, 
like appreciate when people like share it with you because you know how hard it is for someone to go through something. I, I was going to ask you actually, like how you, how, I, I mean, I don't know how to phrase it, but like how you cope. Like I tried art therapy yesterday, actually, which I found really, I'm not good at art at all. Um, but I did, I went to this like bereavement art group, which was weird and fun. And I was quite surprised at what was in my brain, to be honest. Um, and I was wondering actually, like, and actually I should also say like, I am a grief facilitator. So I do like help other young people through their grief. Um, and yeah, I was wondering, you know, in terms of your struggle, I don't want to say struggles, but just seasons. And I guess in terms of your seasons in life, should we say like, um, how you cope, because like you have all shared, like your women, your mothers or soon to be mothers, you've gone through you're going through all these different elements like Jane looks after her parents and also her children and Julie's just had a baby and Sarah's about to have a baby so these are like different seasons like so how do you kind of cope with all these things happening and yeah like like how do you how like what does it look like for you or good methods I guess to cope with these things yeah um it's the big question I don't know if there is an there is an answer I think I think being able to recognise when you are finding things difficult and when you're not and when things are ticking along okay and life is actually for for a while um, quite manageable. But being able to recognise when it is overwhelming and being able to see the signs is definitely the first step to say, actually, there's quite a lot on my plate. Um, I keep dropping the ball, I keep forgetting things, or I'm not sleeping. I think being able to recognise the signs is definitely the first step because if you don't recognise the signs, you can't do anything about it. So I think that having that self-awareness about how you react to the stresses and strains of whatever's happening in your life is really important. And then you can take action. And I think it's about definitely asking for help, sharing um, your story or whatever is going on for you at the time, um, being kind to yourself and being giving yourself a bit of a break um and going back to some of the things that well for me you know that might be um doing things that help you feel better whether that be the art therapy or cooking or a walk in the garden or it can be really small things um and I think that's another thing for me, you know, it has to be a small thing that's going to help me manage a difficult situation. If I lay down a challenge to do an hour's yoga every day, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I've set myself up to fail. But actually saying I can spend 10 minutes doing yoga every day, well, no, I'm doing that. That's achievable. So it's putting those achievable little things in place that keep us on a level ground. Yeah, um, just kind of going off of what Jane was saying. I mean, I think it's twofold for me. It's first and foremost, offering the space to anyone that wants to have the conversation about something that they're going through and, and get, letting them share if they feel comfortable sharing or if they need to share in order to feel better for them. And also allowing them, allowing anyone um, that needs to have the time to go heal in whatever way that they need. Um, I think those are probably the two most important that I've learned over time. And that's like as much or as little time as you need and as much or as little that you feel like sharing. Um, it's just something that 
that you offer to anyone that's going through something. And then, yeah, I mean, anything beyond that, like from a personal perspective, I always encourage people to talk to someone that's not involved in the situation as well, whether that's a therapist or someone outside of, outside of uh, the immediate situation that they're dealing with, just to make sure that they have said everything that they need to say to help themselves heal. Yeah. And I guess just in closing, I would just say that um, for me, it's depended on, you know, what I'm grieving and what stage of life I'm in, what I need might change. It might be a really good boxing class just to like punch some stuff and sweat it out. It might be a really good cry with a friend. It might be, you know, just taking a long walk and getting some alone time and making that part of my routine. It might be therapy. It might be some sort of medication. Um, So really just like being open to whatever you might need in that moment, I think is super important. And, you know, I, I thank you guys for taking this discussion. I know it's not something that's always easy for people to talk about. So I appreciate the vulnerability, um, both coming from various tough situations. So Helen and I both really appreciate you guys opening up with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Beyond 2%. Wow, I loved that episode. Mental health is something that is so near and dear to my heart as someone that has struggled with this since middle or high school. A huge thank you to Helen and our guests, Syra and Jane, for a great discussion. This next month, June, is Pride Month, and I'm so excited to dive into that topic. We have two great guests lined up once again, and Helen and I are going to record that soon, so we'll see you guys next time. 